It is Sunday morning, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM WAJR. Thanks for joining us. Time for sharing the victory with the WVU FCA. And we encourage you to go to the website, WVUFCA.org. You can hear any of the programs through the weeks and months and years that have been recorded here on WAJR. And uh, you can contribute financially to the organization as well. We encourage you to do that wvufca.org campus director kirby myers is with us good morning good morning thanks for coming in thanks for having me baseball season's here yeah got big your tw- big 12s this weekend that's right finally kansas state big 12 um these young men playing baseball all weekend long yeah jj weatherhole how about <laughs> this kid man he's a player he's part of fca and really can really hit that's great uh, news he's yesterday. hitting 440 yeah so if he goes two for five, it hurts him. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. But uh, great speed. He scored from second on a sacrifice fly. Yeah, pretty amazing. First player uh, I've seen do that since Ozzie Smith wow. in the 1982 World that's Series. A, that's a throwback. The Wizard. Yeah. yeah, he did it in a World Series game against the Brewers. Scored from second on a sacrifice fly. That's good to know. Good to know. All right, we're going to Sunday school on this Sunday morning with the WVUFCA. All right. Good morning, everyone. We are returning to our study of the Gospel of John, and we've been in this short series on Nicodemus and Jesus. I've called it uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. This is part four, as we've looked at this incredible conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And so we're going to pick it up in John chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to follow along as I read. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the wilderness, or up the lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And so again, we have been observing this conversation that took place between Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. He is called here the teacher of Israel. This conversation between him and Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, And we've been looking at this over the last three weeks. After our study today, we will not hear from Nicodemus for some time. So no more Nick at night for a while. Uh, We don't hear about him again until John 7, and then not again until John 19. In fact, Jesus will keep speaking here in John 3, and we can assume that Nicodemus is present and listening down through verse 21 until Jesus and his disciples depart for Judea. But John does not tell us the reaction of Nicodemus, if he went away angry or sad or confused, or if he even told Jesus goodbye. We are not told that he was converted at this point. But today, we see Nicodemus speaking one more time to Jesus. He has one more question for him. And in that question, we see a little deeper into Nicodemus's heart. So first of all, we want to look today at the problem of unbelief. In verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Well, what things is he talking about? I think it's 
what we see in verses 5 to 8, when Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus has explained to Nicodemus throughout this conversation what it means to be born again, what it means to be born from above. And we have learned that salvation is of the Lord. It is not from within. It is from without. It is found in Christ and Christ alone. Nicodemus was amazed that Jesus told him that he must be born again. He thought he was okay. He was religious. He was a Pharisee. He worked very hard at keeping the Mosaic law. He worked hard at keeping the self-made traditions of the Pharisees. But Jesus was amazed that Nicodemus did not understand. And so in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? We've looked at this before, that Nicodemus was a well-known and well-respected teacher in Israel. He had a high standing among the teachers in Israel in his day. He was one who was very familiar with the Old Testament. He was one that many of the younger teachers could have gone to for instruction and understanding of the Old Testament law. He was a respected teacher in Israel, but did not understand what it meant to be born again and what it meant to be born of water and born of the Spirit, what it meant to be regenerated from above. And this reveals really the spiritual state of Israel during the time of Jesus. If you remember that when John the Baptist comes on the scene preaching a baptism of repentance, and Jesus comes to him just a few months later, God has not spoken through his prophets before this for the last 400 years. There has not been anyone doing miracles for the last 500 years. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and begins performing signs and wonders, people take notice, including Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. He comes to Jesus and he comes to him at night to find out who Jesus is and how he has the authority to do what he does. But in coming to Jesus, we learn much about Nicodemus, that though he is well-known, and a well-respected teacher in Israel, there is much that he does not know about the Old Testament and regeneration and salvation. And Jesus, as we have observed over the last few weeks, begins to show Nicodemus that he is the teacher of Israel. He is the teacher par excellence, and he is the greatest teacher to ever live. Friend, what an honor for us today. We get to listen in, and so I would encourage you to pay close attention. As he had already has already done in this conversation, he brings clarity and explanation to Nicodemus. He exposes the unbelief that is in his heart. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. The first thing that I observed when I read and studied this text for the first time was that was this. Jesus does not say, I hear. He says, we. Why does he say this? Well, look back at verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know 
that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus came to Jesus alone. But he came to him as one of the Pharisees. He came to him as one of the members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling and governing council of Israel. He comes as a representative. We are not told if Nicodemus was sent or whether he came on his own, but his coming and his question are representative of the Pharisees, of the members, the other members of the Sanhedrin. They too want to know who Jesus is and where he gets his authority. Here in verse 11, Jesus says, We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. Well, who else is Jesus referring to here? The Father and the Holy Spirit? No, I believe Jesus is referring here to John the Baptist, who prepared the way for the coming of Jesus and his disciples, who understood and testified to the truth of salvation, who understood regeneration, who understood that salvation was of the Lord and were able to teach these things. There is something very interesting here in verse 11 that can only be found by observing the Greek. The you at the end of this verse is plural. It literally reads, and our testimony you do not accept. This rebuke went beyond Nicodemus. It included the nation of Israel. They did not accept the testimony of Jesus and his true followers. We see this from the opening verses of the gospel, that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's John 1.11. Nicodemus spoke with human authority. He was selected to be a member of the Sanhedrin. He was chosen to be a ruler of the Jews. He was elevated to the status of teacher of Israel by men. But Jesus was sent by the Father, by God himself. And Nicodemus and the nation of Israel were rejecting Jesus and rejecting the Messiah whom the Lord had sent. Verse 12, Jesus says, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This may be why we do not see Nicodemus speaking again, because Jesus here simply shatters Nicodemus' self-righteousness and exposes his heart. And we see that Nicodemus' words to Jesus in verse 2, where he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from her, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, really were meaningless. They were polite at best. Because of the self-righteousness that filled his heart, because of the unbelief that filled his heart, he is unable to comprehend simple things, things that Jesus refers to here as earthly. If he cannot accept these things, if he cannot believe these things, how will he be able to accept and believe spiritual things? How will he be able to accept heavenly things, such as the relationship between the Father and the Son, or the deity of Christ, or the kingdom of God, or God's plan of eternal redemption? Friend, if you had come to Jesus and had this conversation with him like Nicodemus did, what would Jesus find in your heart? He would be able to read you just like he read Nicodemus, because he knows all men. He knows what is in man. He knows everything about you and me, and he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. 
He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows your doubts. He is aware of your unbelief. You may be able to fool your family and your friends and others around you, but you cannot fool God. He knows your heart. The second thing we want to look at today is the answer for unbelief. We looked at the problem of unbelief. Now let's see the answer for unbelief. And the answer is found in a person. And it's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time for a little Christology this morning. The doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are a lot of books today that are being written about heaven and being written by those who claim that they have been to heaven and back and they have lived to tell about it. There was a movie, a major motion picture movie just a few years ago called Heaven is Real. Well, I have some thoughts on this about those writing books about their journey to heaven, and I have a couple problems with this. One is that Paul was caught up to the third heaven. We read about this in 2 Corinthians 12. He was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words, but was not permitted to talk about it. He was not allowed to write a book about his journey to heaven. He did not go on talk shows to describe his journey. There were no producers that said, hey, Paul, can we make this into a major motion picture? Another problem I have is if you look through these accounts, from a little boy to a neurosurgeon, the accounts are all different. They vary to great degrees. There are different descriptions of heaven, different descriptions of God, different descriptions of Jesus, if he is even mentioned at all. You know who can tell you about heaven? Lazarus, because he went there and remained there until Jesus raised him from the dead. Talk to him about heaven. Well, that's going to be difficult today because I don't know if you heard, but Lazarus died a second time. But you know who else can tell you about heaven? The Apostle John, who was given a revelation from God himself while he was on the island of Patmos. But he left us a book. He too is dead. But he left us a book, the book of Revelation, which tells us much about heaven. You know who else can tell you about heaven? Jesus. He has been there. He's the creator of heaven. He designed it, and he was there for all eternity. He left for 33 years to come to earth, but he has been there ever since, from about A.D. 30, seated at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us where we will dwell with him forever. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself. This is amazing because Nicodemus has come to Jesus. He has come to him at night, and we can commend him for even coming at all. He is polite when he speaks to Jesus, telling him that we know that you have come from God as a teacher. We know that you could not do the signs you do unless God is with you. But he really has no clue who Jesus really is. Jesus is God. He has come from heaven. He has authority to speak about heavenly things because that is where he has come, from where he has come. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 4 says, 
who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Well, his name is Jesus. Since we're in John 3, I would encourage you to turn over to John chapter 6, just a few pages away. John chapter 6, and let me read verses 32 through 34. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Well, Jesus was this bread. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then if you drop all the way down to verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And then you don't need to turn there, but over in John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not come to on my own initiative, but he sent me. Friend, if you're listening today and you do not know who Jesus is, you need to understand that Jesus has always been. He existed uncreated. He is the creator of all things. He created the heavens and the earth. He descended from heaven, and he walked on this earth for 33 years, revealing himself as the Son of God, the Messiah. And then he was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day. And after a 40-day period on the earth, proving to hundreds that he had raised from the dead, he ascended back to the Father in heaven. And he is now preparing a place for all who believe in him and waiting for the day that he will return for his bride, the church. Not only does Jesus tell us where he has come from, he, for the first time here in the Gospel of John, predicts his death and predicts his crucifixion. Look at verses 14 and 15. This is so, so important. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. What does Jesus mean when he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? Well, I'm really glad you asked me that question. (laughs) And I would like for you to turn to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 21. Numbers is one of those books, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, uh, so many people die and they bow out in the book of Numbers, or before that, in Leviticus. These are hard books to get through, uh, a lot of genealogy, a lot of history, a lot of numbers. But in Numbers 21, there's something very important that we need to see today as we Think about what Jesus said here to Nicodemus. So, Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. 
When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negeb, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. From Mount Hor, they, sent, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Moses lifted up the serpent. Those who were bit by the fiery serpents and who looked to the bronze serpent that was lifted up were healed. They were healed from the bites of the snakes, and they were physically healed from those ailments. I would really, if you've never done this, take a look the next time you see a medical sign or a sign on an ambulance. If you look at it closely, you will see a snake on a pole, and that is where this comes from. But Jesus here refers to a time when he himself, the Son of Man, will be lifted up, where he will be crucified and be nailed to a cross, where he will be elevated for all to observe and see, so that all who believe on him will be healed, healed from the disease of sin and forgiven of all their sins and be granted everlasting life and live forever. Isaiah 53, 5, Isaiah writing 700 years before the coming of Christ says that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. We are healed from the disease of sin. Whoever believes, whoever believes that Jesus has indeed come from heaven, that Jesus has been sent from God, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, and believes that his death is for the payment of sin, will have eternal life. Nicodemus must have been crushed by the words of Jesus here in verses 11 and 12. He may have been offended. Another reason for him to be offended was because of what Jesus said about himself. He refers to himself here as the Son of Man, and that is a title reserved for deity, for God. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he is deity, that he is God, that he is the Messiah. But if he was still in the presence of Jesus, if he was still listening to the words of Jesus here, he heard Jesus say the word, believe. 
Friends, we are studying the Gospel of John. I've told you that it is often called the Gospel of Belief. Salvation is attained by believing the Gospel, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, salvation is not about your self-righteousness. It's not about your good works and what you do to earn God's favor. It is not about your adherence to the moral law. It is not about your careful following of man-made traditions. Salvation is found and forgiveness of sins is granted. Eternal life is given when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe on him who knew no sin, on him who was lifted up, though he was innocent and crucified until he bled to death. And Jesus was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day and the one who ascended back to the Father in heaven. Not only does Jesus say that the one who believes in him will have eternal life, he says here, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And this is good news. There is hope for everyone who is listening today that no matter where you have been, And no matter what you have done, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. Friend, there is no sin, there is no amount of sins that you have committed that can forfeit and nullify the grace of God. God forgives sinners, and God forgives great sinners. John Newton, who wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace, once said, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. The thief on the cross, as we think about Good Friday coming up, this Easter season, that thief that was crucified, those two thieves that were crucified next to Jesus were most likely guilty of murder. They were facing capital punishment at the hands of the Romans. But the one thief, the repentant thief, in his last hours, he recognized that Jesus was God, and he recognized that he himself was a sinner and that Jesus had lived a perfect life. And in those last moments, he placed faith in Jesus, saying, Lord, remember me. And Jesus assured him that on this day, he would be with him in paradise. The very same word that is used by Paul when he describes the time that he was caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. Jesus said, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, it is the sick that need a doctor. Those who are willing to admit their sins and those who are willing to admit their need of a Savior. So on this Palm Sunday, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you would do so today, that you would repent from your sins and receive Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you on the cross for eternal life. Father, thank you for this time as we wrap up this little mini-series on Jesus and Nicodemus Thank you for this conversation that really took place between the teacher of Israel and the greatest teacher who ever lived, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this narrative that we can read and and learn about what it means to be born again. We thank you that, Lord, you were the, the Lamb of God that was lifted up, and you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so, Lord, I pray you'd be drawing your people to yourself even this day, that they would turn from their sins and flee to Christ for their salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy Week. Yes, it is. The start of uh, Holy Week with Palm Sunday and Easter coming up and uh, the most important week of the year. Yeah, it's like uh, 
the Super Bowl for Christians, right? <laughs> The, more like the World Series. It's drawn out. It's, <laughs> it is. It's, it's seven days. That's a better. That's a better <laughs> illustration. Very good. Well, uh, again, Kirby Myers, campus director of the WVU FCA, part of our Sunday morning programming, sharing the victory here on WAJR. Again, we encourage you to go to the website wvufca.org uh, to find out more. And um, again, with this Holy Week, we. Uh, we wish you the best, and uh, you know we pray that uh, that you have a blessed week with your friends and your family with Palm Sunday today and Easter Sunday coming up next week. Again, this is Sunday morning, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR.